NBA on NBC. What's up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you are listening to Pod of Fame, the podcast where we discuss whether or not athletes should get into the respective Hall of Fames. So I hope you all enjoyed the new intro music. Um, The first four episodes, I went with something from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I thought was great. However, the other day, I came across the old NBA on NBC theme, which is what you just heard. And I forgot how much that gets me pumped up. And I feel like going into any podcast, I want you all to feel kind of pumped up, get excited about it. And there's nothing more exciting than hearing that music. Um, Growing up in Chicago in the 90s with the Chicago Bulls, I feel like always being on NBC, hearing that music I I associate with good times of, of championship Bulls teams instead of the Bulls teams of today that can't even make um, the bubble. It's not even the playoffs. We couldn't even make the bubble. But that aside, um, today we're actually talking baseball because baseball started back up last Thursday. Thank God. Um, so we're talking Cooperstown and we're talking former third baseman Scott Rowland and whether or not he should get a call to the hall. So a little bit about Scott Rowland before we go into our first segment. Um, Scott Rowland's actually been on the Hall of Fame ballot since 2018. Um, so this will next year will be his fourth year on the ballot already. In his third year of voting this year, he got 35.3% of the vote. Uh, he played from 1996 to 2012. Um, most people think of him from his time with the Phillies and the Cardinals, but he also played for the Toronto Blue Jays and the Cincinnati Reds. Um, he was an eight-time gold glover, so one of the better defensive third basemen of all time. Seven-time All-Star, started four of those All-Star games. Run the Rookie of the Year, his uh, first time in the le- year in the league. 281 career batting average, 316 home runs, 1,287 RBIs, just got over 2,000 hits with 2,077, and at a 70.1 war. He was a part of the World Series, uh, 2006 World Series champion, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, and his career splits for on-base percentage was 364, slugging percentage 490, and OPS 855. So without further ado, let's go to our first segment, What Comes to Mind? So what comes to mind to me when I hear the name Scott Rowland is really, I guess I first think back to my childhood pretending to be Scott Rowland on the baseball field. Uh, Growing up as a kid, I was born in 1989, so growing up as a kid, Scott Rowland was the best defensive third baseman I had ever seen, and still to this day, I've probably ever seen as a 30-year-old. And I I tried to be like him in the field, Uh, just like when you're in your driveway, you pretend to be Michael Jordan or LeBron James taking a shot. When I played third base in practice and in games, I was trying to be like Scott Rowland because I had never seen anyone as talented and as athletic as him um, in the hot corner. So, so Scott Rowland as a defensive player, um, you're six foot four, 245 pounds, which is enormous for a third baseman, but he couldn't have been more athletic. Um, he was just to, I guess, explain how athletic this guy was. He was runner up, uh, to be Mr. Basketball in Indiana 
which which Mr. Indiana is a big deal, or Mr. Basketball in Indiana is a huge deal, which is how much talent comes from that state when it comes to hoops. He almost played at Georgia, um, college basketball at Georgia. So he's a big time athlete at third base. Um, and he could really make any, any play. Um, his range was incredible. And during the summers growing up on SportsCenter, all, all you guys baseball highlights. And I just feel like top 10 plays every night. His stood out. He was almost on every night. I felt like um, diving for, for a ground ball, um, flying out of nowhere to catch something. He just, he made highlight after highlight play. And he really made third base um, look fun. And I tried to be like him anytime I, I was playing on the field. Um, and, and I couldn't have thought of a better role model, honestly, of how to play defense um, than Scott Rowland. And when you get to his defense, I mean, that's what makes Scott Rowland really, really stand out. I mean, he in my lifetime, he was my Brooks Robinson. And again, he was, no, <laughs> he was nowhere near Brooks Robinson in terms of performance. No one was. But for me and my generation, he really, he, that, that's, that's who he was to us. Um, of course, Brooks Robinson has the most gold gloves of any third baseman of all time with 16, which is incredible because, I mean, uh, Scott Rowland only played 17 years in the league. So Brooks Robinson won 16 gold gloves, which would basically be impossible for Scott Rowland to match. But other than Brooks Robinson, only Mike Schmidt had more gold gloves with 10. So Scott Rowland had eight gold gloves in his career, which is third all time when it comes to third baseman, just behind Brooks and behind Schmidt. Um, during my lifetime, I would say Scott Rowland's the best defensive player I've ever seen. Um, Adrian Beltre was great. He had five gold gloves. Eric Chavez for the Oakland A's was great. He had six. Um, and then, of course, if you look at today's game, Nolan, you know, Colorado Rockies, he's, he's going to be one of the all-time greats. But since I've been around in this world last 30 years, Roland has kind of set the standard for best defensive third baseman. I feel like Brooks Robinson was the gold standard. Then the right when Brooks kind of was retiring, Mike Schmidt came on the scene, won his 10 gold gloves. And there's a little lull between when Schmidt retired and Roland came on, but Roland was the next kind of great third baseman. Um, all time, Roland has a 21.2 defensive uh, war, which is 45th all time across all positions. And that war is better than people like Mike Schmidt at third base, who has more go gloves, better than Ron Santo, another great defensive third baseman. And I guess if I had to make a, a, Defensive third baseman Rushmore. So Mount Rushmore, top four defensive third baseman of all time. Brooks Robinson is, he's George Washington. He's the big head. He's hes the main guy up front. But I'm also including Mike Schmidt on that, on that Rushmore. I'm including Scott Rowland on that Rushmore. And then again, Nolan um, from today's Rockies. I mean, he's won seven straight gold gloves since he's come in. Um, I don't, I don't think anyone, I mean, I think he'll pass Roland in due time and probably be the third best defensive, um, third baseman when it's all said and done. But right now I'm still giving that title to Roland. Um, to me growing up, he was my role model when it came to how to play defense at third, who I wanted to be, who I emulated on the field. Um, 
and, and that's, I guess, my first thoughts when it comes to him. It's just how graceful he was on defense, how I always wanted to be like him, and just how, um, I guess, how much of an impact his defense could make on a kid. Uh, because growing up, you know, in 98, let's say, it was the home run race. So everyone's, you know, hitting bombs. It's all anyone cares about in the major leagues. But Scott Rowland's defense was so impactful to me. That, that's what I kind of got fixated on, how great he played third base. Um, and I'm sure a lot of kids that grew up around the same time period think of Scott Rowland on the Phillies um, pulling off inc- insane plays at third base um, all the time, especially if you were someone like me that religiously watched Sports Center. So that's what comes to mind. Let's go to our next segment, That Memorable Moment. So that memorable moment for Scott Rowland is actually his performance in the 2006 World Series against the Detroit Tigers. Um, You know, I could talk about any of his defensive plays, um, but this is really where he showed off, or I guess, So that memorable moment, Scott Rowland's memorable moment, Hall of Fame moment, was his performance in the 2006 World Series where he was playing for the St. Louis Cardinals and they were up against the Detroit Tigers. So this year in 2006, the Cardinals team was not that great. Um, They went 83 and 78 during the year, um, which I assumed, I, I was like, while the wild card was pretty bad that year, no, they won the the division. They won the NL Central with 83 wins. Um, so terrible, terrible year, uh, down year for the Central in 2006. Um, but they were up against, again, the Detroit Tigers, who were 96 and 67 that year. Um, and this was a World Series that was ended in five games. Um, did not go long. Uh, Cardinals clobbered Detroit, and it, it's really because of the performance of Scott Rowland. Um, over those five games, he had eight hits. He's tied for the team lead. He had three doubles, uh, one of the only two home runs for the Cardinals during the series, two ribbies, and then a 421 batting average with a 476 on base percentage and a 737 slugging percentage. So he was just destroying the ball during this, basically getting on base every other um, at bat. And he really did kind of carry the team. I mean, this is a team with Albert Pujols, Jim Edmonds. Um, they did not perform well. Um, Albert Pujols only bad 200, and Jim Ammons bad 235. They were kind of non-factors um, throughout the series. Uh, but even with Roland's performance, which was very much MVP worthy, he did not win the MVP award. Um, David Eckstein did. Eckstein did. Um, the shortstop. Uh, he had four RBIs. Um, he batted 364 with a 391 on base percentage and 500 slugging, which is all um, way below what what Scott Rowland was putting up. Um, but those four RBIs, uh, I guess the, the the voters at the time took that into consideration a little more than maybe I would have. Because how I look at this World Series is this was the one Scott Rowland carried the Cardinals to a victory. Um, he set the tone in Game One with a home run. And he actually drove in the the last run of the series, um, putting the Cardinals up 4-2 in their Game 5 victory. Um, so I feel like his his presence across all the games, he didn't really have a bad World Series game. He was consistent across all of them, um, as well as the fact he had one of the only two home runs. And then his splits were just outrageous, way better than um, David Eckstein's. 
I feel like Roland does deserve um, the MVP. If I had revisionist history and I could give it to him, I would because I think that piece of hardware where would that piece of hardware would help his Hall of Fame candidacy, but he doesn't. But at the same time, um, this is still a Hall of Fame worthy performance. I'm sure if you're a Cardinals fan, you remember his performance in, two, in that 2006 World Series quite well. Um, he was, again, one of the main reasons they won, especially with Pujols and Edmonds uh, slumping a little um, during this World Series. So that's that memorable moment. So let's go to our final segment before we go to court. Let's go to Ann Twins. I love playing two-hand touch, eating way too much, watching my team win with the Twins. So that song, the commercial still not getting old to me. I know I originally said I'm going to cut that part down to make it a shorter transition. However, I kind of like it. I think I'm going to leave it in. Um, if you would like me to cut it down, please uh, message me. Let me know. Write a review. Let me know. Uh, but until that time, I'm probably going to keep the full length commercial um, as that transition, just because it cracks me up every single time. But anyway, we are to we are on and twins, um, the segment where we compare uh, the player we're talking about uh, in this ep- in that episode to someone who's already in the Hall of Fame. Um, and today for Scott Rowland, we have literally an identical twin um, for him, and and that's Ron Santo, uh, former Chicago Cub who just got inducted in the Hall of Fame finally. And I, gosh, I'll get into a little bit here, but I'm going to get worked up if I do. But finally got into the Hall of Fame after a long overdue wait um, in 2012. But anyway, Ron Santo and Scott Rowland could could really not have any more similarities in, in their career. Um, if you bring up any anything that kind of has their stats side by side, it's nearly identical. Uh, Played appearances, Sano had a little more, but in terms of home runs, batting average, on-base percentage, all, all that good stuff, I mean, uh, Ron Sano had 342 home runs, Roland had 316. Scott Roland's batting average was 0.04 percentage points higher, so basically identical. On-base percentage was even closer. Scott Roland's on-base percentage was just 0.02 more than Ron Sano's. Slugging percentage, Rollins was a little higher because he hit all those doubles um, with his being 0.49 and Santos being 0.464. But but honestly, um, could not get more similar in those splits um, in the home run department um, as well as almost every other statistic. Uh, the only couple things I'll point out, Roland again had more doubles and he also had more stolen bases. Um, then Sano, Sano was really never stealing bases and, um, Roland had 83 more than him. Um, but outside of that, their stats are pretty much identical. Um, Sano made more all-star games. He made nine compared to Roland seven. Um, Roland won more gold gloves though. He won eight, Sano won five. Um, but again, you're not going to find people too much similar when you go to the advanced stats. Um, Sano's better, I think across the board. 
And we're going to get into advanced dance later for, for Roland's Hall of Fame candidacy, just because I think that's what's really going to, to help his cause. Um, but advanced dance, why Sano was better across all the major advanced stats. Um, but, but again, super similar. Uh, the, one, the one thing I will say um, in, in terms of their candidacies, um, you couldn't get more, more like both of these guys, Sano, Roland, just dependable third baseman that could hit and field. Um, but they were never really the stars of their team, which I think hurt Sano, Sano. And I think it's going to maybe hurt Roland as well. You know, Ron Sano played with Ernie Banks and Billy Williams. Those are in the sixties. Those are the Cubs you're thinking about Fergie Jenkins, all hall of famers. Um, so Sano was kind of the, the third fiddle of those two in the batting order. And, you know, Roland, I don't know if you'd ever say he was the best player on his own team or the main star of his own teams. I mean, when he was on the Cardinals, he was playing with Albert Pujols, one of the all-time greats, and Jim Edmonds. Um, on the Phillies, you know, he played with Bobby Abreu. I, I would say Roland was a bigger star than Abreu, but that would probably be up to debate to Phillies fans. Um, but I think they both kind of had that, you know, not a flashy. They were not flashy players. They were... Um, you know, not not the biggest name on the team, but they were just dependable guys that went out there every day and played both ways, um, batting as well as defense. Um, we're both we're both studs in, in the hot corner. The one thing that Sano I said I think has over Roland is he was just while he was in the league, um, I think he was considered one of the top players a little more than Roland was ever. Um, Sano finished in the top 10 in MVP voting four different times um, where, where Roland only had one top five performance. Um, and then also, you know, Sano, he, he was in the top 10 in home runs in the major league, seven different times in the sixties. Roland was never in the top 10. Um, and then Roland, all, all, I mean, and then Sano also, um, he drove in over 90 runs I believe seven consecutive seasons and no other third baseman of all times done that. So that's kind of a feat of consistency that Roland never had. Now Roland was consistent and dependable when he was on the field, but he was injured um, quite a bit during his career. Um, there was actually five different seasons Roland played where he had under a hundred games. Santa on the other hand was always playing almost the full slate of games every year, even though he battled diabetes um, throughout his career. And back in the sixties, Battling diabetes was a whole nother level than it is today. There's a lot less care around my understanding. He kind of had to just monitor that himself and that cut his career a little short dealing with that. And then later in life, um, he had some severe complications where he actually lost both of his legs, which was super sad. But Sano and Roland completely uh, like could not really be any more similar. I can't emphasize that enough. When you're, when I'm doing any of these twin segments, sometimes I really have to reach or find people that had something about their career that was similar. Um, but, but Sano and Roland, honestly, like as close to twins as we're going to probably get on this show um, in terms of performance on the field, how they were in terms of their demeanor and how they were looked at in the league. I think they were both overlooked players. Um, and I think that really hurt Sano and it might hurt Roland in the long run. Um, I, I said, I was going to get a little bit into why it took Ron Sano so long to get in the hall of fame. I'm not going to spend 
too much time on it, but let's just say when he first appeared on the ballot, he was kicked right off. He didn't even get the 5% minimum votes. Um, so he was off the ballot. He only got 15 votes his first year on the ballot, 3.9%. So he fell off. They added him back on in 1985 because they they were starting to figure out that the Hall of Fame voters were kind of um, they were being they were making the hall a little too exclusive where no one could make it, and they realized a lot of great players were being left off. So they put him back on the ballot in 1985. Started getting a little more of the vote. He got 13.4 percent of the vote in 1985, but all the way up until his final ballot in '98 um, and 15 tries, because back then you could be on the ballot for 15 years. Um, the highest he got was 43.1% of the vote, and he fell off. A dozen years later, um, advanced metrics kind of came back around. He got back on the ballot. He was on the veterans ballot for on four different occasions, still couldn't get in. Unfortunately, he, he passed away um, around this time, and uh, he eventually got elected in 2012. They formed another committee called the Golden Air Committee, which was another new committee that was looking at people from the past. Um, and he and he finally got in um, in 2012. And again, unfortunately, he was he was dead at this point. Um, his wife accepted, but um, it, it really is a shame. Anyone that knows baseball, and if you're listening to this podcast about Scott Roll, and I'm sure you know a bit about baseball, um, Ransano's one of the guys who loved the game um, probably more than anyone else. Um, he was a broadcast for the Cubs well after um, his playing career. He's always around the ballpark, loved baseball. And, um, you know, he, his number was luckily retired by the Cubs before he passed, which was great for him. Um, but for him not to get in the Hall of Fame before he, he passed away, it's, it's very sad. Um, I think people did not appreciate. No, I not, not, let me rephrase that. I don't think. I know advanced metrics were not appreciated um, when he was on the ballot for a long time. And, and nowadays, I, I think people look at his career, because when I look at his numbers, it's like this guy's a Hall of Famer. Um, it really shouldn't be in question. But when he was coming up, and I'll get into this in a bit, but third baseman really had a high bar for who, who could get in, who couldn't. And Ron Seno really got overlooked. And I think with um, advanced metrics now playing a much bigger role in how we look at players' value and how they played, um, Ron Center would have gotten a lot earlier if, if the beliefs of today were would have came around earlier when he was trying to get in the Hall of Fame, um, especially when like from the 80s through the 90s when he was on the ballot for 15 years, he just really never had a shot with with how people looked at Hall of Fame voting. But that's enough talking about Ron Sano. Um, that's the twin section and twin section. So now it's time to get go to court, go to our case for. Um, case against. So um, let's go to our final segment. Um, let's go to court. All right. So court is in session. Um, we're going to go case four, uh, Scott Rowland's induction into Cooperstown first. So for the case four, uh, the main thing around Scott Rowland and him being in the Hall of Fame, it all it's all around advanced metrics. Honestly, without advanced metrics, without taking a look for, with that lens, um, Scott Rowland really doesn't have a shot, I don't think. Um, 
And if he was on the ballot in the in the 80s or the early 90s, um, before again advanced metrics came into place, I I don't even think we're I don't even think I'm talking about him as a borderline candidate to be honest. Um, you know, people for the longest time hung on you know, how many home runs, RBIs, that's it. Um, and if you hits and if you didn't hit those major milestones or you didn't have you know multiple MVP awards or something crazy like that, you weren't getting in. But now um, we we do look at sabermetrics. Um, we do see the value in having all these advanced statistics to help us, you know, monitor the Hall of Fame, make sure the best players do get in. Um, we keep some players out. And with Scott Roll, and he has a great case when it comes um, to advanced metrics. And, and three metrics I'm going to look at today are are WAR. So again, wins above a placement, um, top seven WAR, and then Jaws. So Real quickly, again, if you're listening to this, I figure you probably know what these metrics mean. Um, but wins above replacement, so war, you're going to hear me say that a lot. Um, the idea behind war basically is we just, we're looking to know how much better a player is than a player that would typically be available to replace that player. So, so war basically just, I would say, values everything a player does. They're hitting, they're fielding, they're base running. It takes everything in consideration and then compares how, how much better are they than a random replacement player. If you were to bring them in to replace them, how many, how many more wins does that player produce? So how much, how much better? And again, with all these, it's not exact science, but it gives you a good ballpark because at the end of the year, when you're looking at the MVP candidates, the players near the top are usually the ones with the highest war. Um, it just kind of works out that way. Um, top seven war, this is something I like to look at. It kind of helps measure that peak performance. So if someone doesn't play forever, um, but they had a great peak, you can kind of help measure them against other Hall of Famers and their peak. So this is the top seven years of war a player collected throughout their career. So it doesn't have to be consecutive seasons, just to be throughout their year. So this is kind of the war for Scott Rowland's top seven seasons in the MLB. And then finally, Jaws. Um, that's just averaging the war with the seven peak war. And this was actually created just to kind of help um, measure players against others in the Hall of Fame. Um, and this was actually uh, recently created in 2012 and again helps measure the war combined with the peak, averaging that out, evaluating that out against other Hall of Famers to see how, how someone ranks. So moving into actually Scott Rowland, um, there's 15 third basemen in the hall of fame today. They they're pretty neglected, honestly, out of all the positions, but 15 third basemen today are in the hall of fame. Okay. Got You gotta stay with me here because the numbers are going to get really close to each other here. The average hall of fame, third baseman in the MLB has a 68.4 career war. So that's the average. Scott Rowland has a 70.1 war, so higher, okay? So he has a higher war than the average third baseman in the Hall of Fame today. His war, like peak war seven, so his seven top seasons, the average third baseman in the Hall of Fame, their seven-year peak war was 43.1. Rowland's 43.6, so just barely over the average, but over. 
And then finally, Jaws, the average third baseman in the Hall of Fame, 55.7. Scott Rowland, 56.9. So across all three of those metrics, Scott Rowland barely beats the average Hall of Fame third baseman. Okay. And then you look at other other things, you know, rolling all time. Like I, I want to look at it from this aspect. All time, any third baseman ever, he's 10th all time in war. He's 14th all time in seven-year peak in war. He's 10th all time among third baseman in Jaws. And he's sixth all time in third baseman in defensive war. So he's pretty much top 10 other than that peak, that seven-year peak. He's top 10 in all the advanced metrics there. Then you look at other things like the major stats that everyone focuses on, home runs, RBIs, things like that. Only five third basemen in the Hall of Fame today have more home runs than him. Only seven third basemen in the Hall of Fame today have more RBIs than him. And only four third basemen all time in the Hall of Fame have more doubles than him. As I said earlier in the show, he has eight gold gloves. That's the third most all time. Third most among anyone in the Hall of Fame. So going across all these stats, I would say it'd be hard to argue that Scott Rowland isn't a top 10 third baseman of all time. And, and I would say it's hard to argue if someone's top 10 all time in the, at their position, shouldn't they be in the Hall of Fame? Advanced metrics point to it. And honestly, even though he didn't play that many years, 17 seasons, but five or four of the seasons, he was marred by injuries. And it's one of his seasons, he only played a certain amount of games because he was um, just coming up from the minors. But Scott Rowland is a top 10 guy across all these major um, advanced metrics and then top 10 across home runs, RBIs, doubles, metrics like that. Again, it's hard to argue the guy's not top 10 third baseman of all time. So outside of the advanced metric side of it, just other things I want to point out, um, his 2004 season. So his 2004 regular season was his best, best regular season. I said earlier during the Sano part, he only got top five MVP voting once, but this was the year. He had a 9.2 war that year. Okay. So I took a look at other third baseman's um, MVP seasons, right? Because um, Scott Rowland didn't win the MVP this year, but I don't know if I can blame him with a 9.2 war. Um, Barry Bonds won the MVP that year. Uh, again, reminder, that's that's the year 2004 where Bonds walked 232 times. He had a 362 batting average and a 609 on base with an 812 slugging percentage. It was that year where, I mean, those are like uh, make-believe numbers. A 0.609 on base percentage. Are you kidding? Like, what is that? I don't care if he's on steroids. That's that's absurd. Oh, yeah. Albert Pujols was in his prime then, too. So he was in the top um, five in MVP voting. So Scott Rowland really didn't have a chance that year. Um, but I don't want you to lose. I don't want to 
just kind of, um, I guess, take this 2004 season for granted. Because when I go back through um, all the, the the third baseman that won MVPs, um, there was only a few that had better seasons than what Scott Rowland did, even though he was fourth in MVP voting. Um, his war in 2004 was better than any war Mike Schmidt put up in any of his three MVP seasons. It was better than Brooks Robinson's 1964 MVP season, Chipper Jones's 1999 MVP season, or any of Miguel Cabrera's um, MVP seasons. So, so the war he put up, even though he got fourth place, it was better than any of those other MVP seasons by those Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers when it comes to Miguel Cabrera's, um, when it comes to Miguel Cabrera. The only, I only found four seasons that were better by a third baseman. George Brett's 1980 season when he hit 390, a season Al Rosen had in 1953, and two A-Rod seasons, 2005 and 2007. Those are those are the only four MVP seasons that were better than Roland's season in 2004. Um, so, so that's just some context around it. So again, Roland didn't win an MVP award, but his 2004 season was arguably the what fifth best third base season of all time. So, so I think that matters, um, and I think it's good to put into context uh, put into context that Roland had the fifth best season ever by a third baseman. And then other points um, before we move on to case against, you know, he was again, MV, he, he played like an MVP in that World Series in 2006. And then going back to um, the advanced metrics, again, I said earlier, if he's on the ballot in the 80s, 90s, or anytime before, he's not getting in. But good signs point to him getting in is Larry Walker just getting in and Tim Raines getting in because those are other guys who in years past um, might not have got in, but their advanced metrics um, are almost like they're right in there with, with what Roland did. Uh, Walker's war was, I believe one higher than uh, Roland's and Tim Raines was like one below. I mean, literally Roland's sandwiched right between the two guys and both of those guys finally got in on their, on their, on their last year, but, um, they got in because of, you know, advanced metrics about the appreciation, appreciation of that now. And I feel like it's more top of mind now. Um, so with those two getting in recently and Sano getting in finally in 2012, I think that helps Roland's case just because, um, those guys are getting in now. So Roland probably should get in. Okay. So moving across the aisle case against, it's going to be pretty easy to make a case against Scott Rowland. Um, he didn't hit any of those major milestones you want to see. Um, he barely got 2,000 hits. He barely got over 300 home runs. Um, I mean, th those are the minimums, I feel like, for any Hall of Fame candidate. And again, his, his career was cut short due to injuries. And even though he had a 17-year career, again, five seasons under 100 games played. So it's really, you know... 12, 13, 14 full seasons when you really look at it in terms of games played. Only 8,500 at-bats. Um, you know, Ron Sano 
only played 15 years in the league, but he still had almost a thousand more at bats than than Scott Rowland. Um, you know, Scott Rowland never never led the league in any major stat. He he led the league in like some advanced defensive metrics a few years, but that that's that's about it. The only one top MVP finish, you know, I talk about that 2004 season. That's great. But only having one season where you're top 10 in MVP voting, that's nothing to really brag about. Okay, as I said earlier, he had that great World Series performance right in 2006. No one can take that away from him. But outside of that, he was a terrible, terrible postseason player. And I'm not talking like, um, didn't show up for a few games. Like he had entire series. Okay, let me rail this off. This is, this is kind of incredible, actually. He had multiple series with his batting average under 100. And he actually had two series where he batted zero. Yes, his career or his batting average in two different series, including the 2004 World Series was zero. Did not collect a hit in the entire series. That is that is less than, than not being clutched. That is um, your detriment to your team and you need to be benched. That's bad. Luckily, he redeemed himself in that 2006 World Series because that 2004 World Series with the Cardinals, I bet Cardinals fans, I'm not a Cardinals fan by any means, but I bet Cardinals fans and I don't know if they had message boards back in 2004, but they did. They were probably calling for Scott Rowland's head because that's a big no-show. He was never really the best player on his team. I mean, Phillies, that's debatable again, but on the Cardinals, he definitely was not. Um, And then let's get to people similar to his Hall of Fame case, the Ron Santos of the world, Larry Walkers of the world, Tim Raines of the world. You know, it's great they all got in. They're all advanced metrics darlings and and that's the reason they're in um, because we can take a look further than just home runs rbis now and take a look at their overall impact but like i said ron sano earlier it took him forever to get in um he was dropped off the ballot he dropped about twice um and then eventually got elected by a committee that was formed Uh, larry walker who i think has a better resume then, then Scott Rowland, he didn't get into his last year on the ballot and he barely got in at set, getting 76.6% of the votes. Uh, Larry Walker was an MVP, won three batting titles, has a higher war, and, and all the advanced metrics are better for him than Rowland. And it took him till his final year on the ballot to get in. So that scares me a little bit for Rowland's sake. And then Tim Raines, another guy in 2017, got in on the last year on his ballot. Um, his war was just under, uh, role. And in terms of, you know, are they kind of similar, uh, in terms of, in terms of, I guess the resume, well, they were completely different players. So that's kind of hard to judge, but I, I, I would, I would probably put them neck and neck, but again, Reigns barely got in and he made a big jump in his final year. I believe he was really only getting forties, 50% percent of the vote year after year. It took him to his 10th year to finally get in. It was a major push behind him getting in. Um, but again, that's someone who almost felt the ballot got in their last year. So again, even though they all got in and they're all similar to Roland, there, there was, there's an alternate reality where 
Walker and Reigns both don't get in. And Santo, again, he didn't get in for a very long time. It took a special committee to get him in. So that's case against. Um, so now let's go to our, our final segment. Let's go to the final verdict. Okay, so final verdict for Scott Rollins Hall of Fame candidacy. Will he get into Cooperstown? This one was tough. Um, I've said this a couple times throughout. But if it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, um, Roland might have fallen off after the first year or two on the ballot. Um, just over 300 home runs, 2,000 hits. Really didn't cut it for a very long time. And still, it's that's a tough sell today. Um, the problem, I guess, is for especially third baseman, the bar was set really high early on. Um, you look at Brooks Robinson's of the world, the Mike Schmitz of the world. Those guys are like the best of the best. It's it's not, yeah, there should be a Hall of Famer. They're like all-time best ever players. I mean, Brooks Robinson won 16 gold gloves. Mike Sch- Schmidt won three MVPs for the Phillies. Um, you know, George Brett. Guy hit 390 in a year, won an MVP award, got the world the Royals to the World Series. These are over 3,000 hits. Like these players um set the bar really high for third baseman. So other third basemen coming around, you know, they're directly compared to them, which you should, but at the same time, there needs to be, you know, there needs to be a tier slightly below these guys. Um, because just because you're not the best of all time doesn't mean you sh- you're not Hall of Fame worthy. And, and that's where advanced metrics um, really come into play and help out. And, and I think as they're becoming more and more accepted, things like defense uh, play a bigger role in people getting in the Hall of Fame. On-base percentage plays a bigger role. And overall contribution um, to your team plays a bigger role. And advanced metrics help. And again, Santo eventually got in due to advanced metrics. Uh, players like Larry Walker, Tim Raines got in with advanced metrics in the past. They might not have got in. And at the end of the day, due to advanced metrics and rolling just being above what the average of a Hall of Famer or third baseman is, I think I think he'll get in. So my final verdict is Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. He will get in Cooperstown. He is worthy of, of, of entering those halls, getting a plaque in the Hall of Fame. Um. You know, he's a top 10 third baseman of all time. Uh, I looked at the list of who's in the Hall of Fame today. I think Roland Fitzson is the ninth best third baseman in the Hall of Fame. So the ninth best third baseman of all time. Um, Right behind Ron Sano, I think Ron Sano is better. But right in front of people like Home Run Baker and Jimmy Collins. I think the MLB, you know, has been around for 150 years. I think being the ninth best third baseman of all time um, in the 150 years of baseball is, is a fair, I think it's fair to let you in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> if you're the ninth best player ever at that position in 150 years of the major leagues being around. Um, other reasons why I think Roland's going to get in, it's based on the voting so far as well as who's on the ballot in the upcoming years. 
So in his third year of uh, eligibility this year, he got 35.3% of the vote. So that's more than Roland, or I'm sorry, that's more than Walker and Tim Raines got at this point um, of their Hall of Fame um, ballot careers, I guess. Uh, Walker in his third year only got 21.6% of the vote. And Tim Raines in his third year got 30.4% of the vote. So already Scott Rowland's ahead of those guys in an era where we're looking more at sabermetrics, we're looking more at war, we're taking that more into perspective or into more into context as we're looking at these Hall of Fame um, candidates. So I think that helps that he's already ahead of their pace for him to get in. And then what also I think really helps is just who's kind of on the docket in upcoming classes, if I really even look at next year, so his fourth year on the ballot in 2021, it would be a major jump to get from 35% of the vote to 75%, which you need. However, there's no big names coming on the ballot next year in 2021. Like, really, the, the big names coming next year are Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter, those types of players. So with that, I mean, on the ballot next year, people, I mean, people are usually going to vote for someone. Uh, I know there's years where no one gets voted in, but like Schilling almost got in, Kurt Schilling, he, he got 70% of the vote. He'll probably get in next year. But then who else? I mean, there's the Clemens, the Bonses, the, the steroid guys left. Other than that, Roland's kind of that next next guy up. Um, he He might have a great shot next year. Um, 2022, or David Ortiz comes on the ballot, but he was a DH a lot of his career. It'll be interesting kind of case. A Rod comes on, but I have no idea how to look at that yet. We're gonna, that's going to be a that might have to be a two two part episode dissecting A Rod's candidacy. Obviously, numbers wise, he makes it, but the whole steroids thing and everything else that's tough. And then in 2023, it's really just Carlos Beltran coming on, and again, he's got his own. He's got his own world of problems too we're talking about. He's definitely not a first ballot automatic. So in the next three years, 2021, 2022, 2023, I think Roland's going to be one of the top names on the list. So I think that along with everything else will get him entering to Cooperstown. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. I also think that the voters will eventually get him into Cooperstown in the next three years, I'd say. Um, I don't know if it will be next year again, jumping from... 35% all the way to 75% might be too big of a jump, but look for that 2022-2023 um, ballots. Look for him to, to get in on one of those years. So that's Scott Rowland today. He is a Hall of Famer. He gets that pot of fame vote. Um, thank you for joining. And again, um, thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating or Spotify, leave us a review. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. We got to, I'm very excited about next week. Uh, we're going to be talking basketball. Um, so make sure you subscribe um, and tune in next Monday. Um, thanks. And um, hey, basketball starts this week. So let's get excited about that. Um, thanks and have a great week.